Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to episode 116 of the Way of Improvement Reads Home podcast. As always, we are glad you have joined us. If you've listened long enough to this podcast, you know that many of our guests champion what we call historical thinking. I've spent the better part of my career as a historian, history professor, teacher of history teachers, blogger, and writer, defending historical thinking as our best hope for sustaining and preserving American democracy and the democratic pluralism that comes with it. If you have read the first edition of my book, Why Study History? Reflecting on the Importance of the Past, you may be familiar with my appendix, in which I laid out a proposal for a Center for American History and a Civil Society. This appendix will not appear in the forthcoming edition of the book because I could not get the institution where I work to buy into such a center, and I was never able to secure the funding for it. But I still believe, with Thomas Jefferson, that a well-informed citizenry is the only repository of the public will. I believe that Jefferson was not only calling Americans to obtain certain factual knowledge about the world the kind of stuff one gets by reading a high school history textbook or a Wikipedia article or by searching the internet. But he was calling us to a democratic way of thinking. And again, there is no better way to think democratically than to think historically. This requires reading the world through the lens of the so-called five C's of historical thinking, complexity, change over time, causation, contingency, and context. I have thought long and hard about what it might take to bring these skills into the K-12 classroom, and I am inspired by organizations like the Gilder Lehrman Institute for American History, full disclosure here, I am a member of its advisory board, and the Stanford History Education Group, or SHEG, for their work in this area. And in today's episode, I want to introduce you to another such organization that I'm really excited about. It is called Thinking Nation. And today our guest is Zachary Cote, the organization's executive director. As you're listening to this podcast, 
I invite you to open a browser tag to thinkingnation.org to get a sense of what Zach and his team are up to. Thinking Nation wants to help all students mature into thinking citizens equipped with the essential skills to participate in a robust democracy. They want to help build a generation of learners who will be empowered to analyze information effectively, think historically, and write persuasively in order to build a better democratic future. Zach will be with us in a moment to tell us more about Thinking Nation. But first, let's take care of some business. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. The Way of Improvement Leads Home podcast is a member of Recorded History Podcast Network. When you get a chance, head over to recordedhistory.net to check out some of our fellow network podcasts. This free podcast is brought to you through the patrons of Current an online journal of commentary and opinion that provides daily reflections on contemporary culture, politics, and ideas. We keep this going by your generous financial donations. If you like what you read or hear at Current and want to support our work, and that includes this bi-monthly podcast, our daily opinion features, the Way of Improvement Leads Home blog, our relatively new blog, The Arena, and our narrative podcast on the history of evangelicals and politics, head over to currentpub.com and click the red membership button. The best way to spread the word about the podcast is to tell a friend. You can follow us on Twitter or X, as it's now called, at T-W-O-I-L-H podcast. You can follow me there at John Fia one or you can follow current at current underscore pub one. We are also on Facebook and Instagram. And if you like an episode, give us a share or a retweet and consider a positive review on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Podbean, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Before Thinking Nation, Zachary Cote taught history at both the middle and high school levels for five years at Bright Star Schools. As a teacher, mentor, and department leader, his passion was to ensure that a rigorous history education that emphasized historical thinking was available to all students. He earned his bachelor's degree in history from California State University Channel Islands, where his love for history and history education blossomed. He also holds an MA in American history from Pace University.
Our guest on the podcast today is Zachary Cote. He is the executive director of a relatively new nonprofit called Thinking Nation, which I'm very excited about. And I wanted to have Zach on the show to talk more about Thinking Nation. So welcome, Zach. Thanks, John. You know, I've uh, listened to, I think, every episode of this podcast since it came out in 2016. So it's quite a treat to be on. That's awesome. I'll have to pass that along. Some of you longtime listeners know Drew Durley Hermeling, who was my original co-host. I see him every now and then, but I'll have to pass that along. People were actually disappointed when Drew left. They probably appreciated our banter back and forth. So, yeah, he, he was definitely a great compliment to, to yeah. your style. Yeah, he was fun. I miss doing the podcast with him. Maybe we'll have a reunion episode or something where we'll bring him back. So, Zach, tell us a little bit about yourself. And, you know, you obviously have been interested in the subject of, of history before sure. you, you devoted much of your adult life to the study and teaching of history. But what were you doing before you uh, started Thinking Nation? Sure. Yeah, I was a middle school teacher in South Los Angeles. I taught both seventh grade world history and then eighth grade early American history. And I taught at that middle school for five years. In in my fifth year, our district received a grant that eventually, as I'm sure we'll get into, turned into Thinking Nation. So you come out of the classroom, classroom experience. Now you are the full-time director of a nonprofit devoted to historical thinking skills. So tell us a little bit about Thinking Nation. Why did you start it? It was at a particular moment in time that led you to start this, something more, something less. Tell us a little bit about what is Thinking Nation and why did you start this nonprofit? Sure. I think it'll be helpful to go back to my first day of teaching. Sure. Uh, I remember I earned my bachelor's in history and got my teacher credential. And two months later, I was my first day on the job, 22 years old, very idealistic. And I remember getting the scope and sequence from my principal for the seventh grade class I was teaching. And it was just very memory-based history in the way it, it asked me to teach the course. And both in my undergraduate work and in my teaching credential, uh, my professors really focused on historical thinking and these disciplinary practices within history. And so, you know, right away, that first day of teaching, I asked the principal if I could do away with a lot of this and kind of start from scratch. And to all her credit, she said, sure, uh, and really let me begin to explore emphasizing the disciplinary practices of history in my classroom, you know, introducing terms like historiography and uh, historical significance and contextualization with my students. And so over the course of those years um, at the school, that's, that really became my focus. Um, I was able to do a lot of work with the district um, on their kind of broader initiatives and social studies. And then I eventually, before I left, was the department head of, of my middle school's department. And we were able to create this, you know, robustly, vertically aligned department that we really began to align on how our students thought in our class, 
and how they expressed that thinking in both, um, you know, discussions in class as well as writing and essays and things of that nature. So when Thinking Nation kind of first began as an idea with this grant that our uh, district was given, the grant was initially a very constitution focused grant. And, um, you know, in conversation between myself and the social studies head for the entire district, we thought through well, what elements does the history classroom offer to better democracy? The grant kind of came about out of the 2016 election and the frustrating polarization and kind of lack of adherence to historic precedents in a lot of the nature of the 2016 election. And so I think that's why the foundation really expressed this need for the constitution. Uh, but we started to think like, well, I think the thinking practices, the way that we navigate information, the way we empathize with multiple perspectives, that these characteristics are really at the heart of what sustaining democracy looks like. And so in conversation um, with the foundation, we began to sketch out this idea of creating resources, curriculum, assessments, and professional development around historical thinking for the broader goal of sustaining democracy, of um, you know, cultivating thinking citizens. And, and so I'd say at the heart of kind of our, or our origin story is this cultivation of thinking citizens. How would Thinking Nation, you know, let's get into a little bit about the mission of Thinking Nation, your vision. But first, let me ask a sort of a more practical question. Maybe this might be a way to lead into this, these questions. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't prep you for this question, but I think you should be able to handle it without much of a problem. There now are a growing number, I think, of sort of nonprofits, institutions, organizations that work with history teachers. I'm thinking about specifically like the Gilder Lehrman Institute, you know, I'm thinking of like Sam Weinberg's group over there at Stanford, Stanford History Education Group. There are a few others. One of our writers at current, Dan Williams, just started, uh, and I don't expect you to be familiar with this one, but it's the, now the director of one at Ashland University teaching history. What makes Thinking Nation, or maybe it's not different than any of those, and maybe you don't know those other ones as well to be able to answer the question, but what makes Thinking Nation kind of unique in its approach to working with history teachers and history students? Yeah, so the two of the three that you mentioned, the Gilder Lehrman Institute and Stanford History Education Group, I used regularly as a classroom teacher, and I really value their work. In fact, I did my master's in American history in thanks to the Gilder Lehrman Institute and, and, you know, working with Pace University to provide that outlet for for teachers um, to earn that degree. and so, you know, a, a quick one is that, you know, the Gilder Learman Institute focuses on American history and we're focused more on social studies more broadly. Um, so, you know, what, what falls under a social studies department at a middle school or high school? The second component, you know, and maybe more relation to, to Shegg, to Stanford's, you know, a lot of the, the times that I used those resources and then I would maybe go to a conference and talk to other teachers about those resources. I and those people I, I spoke with were really excited about doing this type of thinking and watching the way our students engaged with the past rather than kind of passively received this narrative of the past in the more traditional form of the history classroom. But what I found is when I left that conference setting, 
or I like spoke to other people within my district, they didn't have that same urgency around historical thinking. And so it was actually hard to replicate the, the use of those materials across a department uh, because they, they took a lot of teacher knowledge and intuition about historical thinking to properly you know, use them in the classroom. And so one thing we started to think about is how do we make historical thinking focused resources really replicable and systematically usable, you know, that whether your, you know, primary reason for going into teaching social studies was because you wanted to be a pillar of the community through coaching a team, or it could be, you know, you are excited about um, certain clubs on campus, or you have a passion for history and, and historical thinking, but no matter how you come into the social studies classroom, our resources will help guide kind of teachers in from all vantage points in this process of teaching and assessing, I would emphasize historical thinking. Let's try to think about some definitions a little bit again, for those of our listeners who may not understand, you know, you distinguish between say a Gilder Lehrman focusing on history and thinking nation more associated with social studies. Sure. But you're also referring to these thinking skills as historical thinking skills. Help my listeners sort that all out, right? What, what makes a social studies organization like yours different from say a history organization? And what does that have to do with historical thinking skills? Sure. I would, you know, say definitely the foundation of our resources are unabashedly historical thinking. But we also try to think about, you know, what are disciplinary practices within other disciplines of social studies? And I, th I think that might be a good kind of entry point to our purpose um, at Thinking Nation. So, you know, if, if I were to summarize our purpose in a sentence is to shift the paradigm of social studies education. Um, and in history education more specifically. And so what does that look like? You know, most people both in and out of the classroom that I talk to, when I talk about history, uh, the first thing that we think of is the past, right? History is the past and it's not right. The point of our field is not to call what we do a content which mean like, you know, right, the past, but really a discipline. And so that discipline is the study of the past. And so while, you know, even in middle and high school, most social study courses are history. We have government, we have economics, we have, you know, geography, and some schools offer other ones, but they still largely center around history. So I think historical thinking as an umbrella is still very much applicable to, to all of those subjects. But if we were to broaden out a little bit more, it's really disciplinary thinking, right? And, and just by that emphasis of saying it's disciplinary thinking, we're acknowledging that what we do as teachers is we teach a discipline. We don't teach a content, right? The content of what we teach is really a means to an end to really cultivate these disciplinary practices in our students. If I hearing correctly, are you suggesting that these other disciplines within the social studies Right. Government, you know, psychology, uh, economics, um, geography. Are you suggesting that your organization wants to also promote the kinds of disciplinary thinking skills that go along with those 
disciplines, or are you suggesting that historical thinking could add a great deal to those other subjects? Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, I'd say personally the latter. <laughs> the okay. Historical thinking adds more. But practically, yeah. we are very conscious about building resources that focus on those disciplinary practices as well. You know, okay. giving students a lot of practice with engaging in quantitative analysis in, in yeah. econ or, or government. And so being strategic about the way we write and curate resources that definitely highlight, you know, uh, discipline specific skills while also acknowledging that the historical thinking skill of say contextualization really has this broad appeal to, you know, I would argue not just other social studies disciplines, yeah. but, you know, the moment you wake up in the morning. That's well put. And, and it's clear you've thought a little bit about that question, despite the fact that I didn't know to prep you for it. Let's just get one more kind of definitional issue out of the way. We've been using this, this phrase now since the beginning of the interview, but what is historical thinking? Or at least what does thinking nation see as historical thinking? Yeah, I would say it's a, as a, an illustration, it's kind of this tool belt of how we approach the study of the past, right? So if we just approach the study of the past as a way to remember and to learn more information about particular narratives, stories, um, and information, that's not a unique set of thinking skills, right? But if we start to apply this tool belt of how we approach it and we ask certain questions when we're studying the past, ask questions of perspective, of historical significance, if we carry this idea of historical empathy, right? Empathizing with the past actors that we're studying, if we make these, you know, claims of change over time or even continuity over time, um, those tool belts are kind of the hows of historical thinking, right? How do I think historically? It's I look for this idea of causation in history, that things are not monocausal, but there's complexity in, in causes and effects of history. I look to make comparisons. I assess continuity and change over time. I contextualize everything that I begin to study. I ask questions of what was going on at that time to, that better illuminates this particular story. And so, you know, I mean, we could put it into a succinct, succinct definition, but I think also it's really owning those those various skills within the how in in how we study the past and that's how we can measure at least that's kind of how our curriculum lays things out is how we can measure historical thinking in a classroom i want to come back to the measuring in a second but you know listening to you talk about historical thinking i think you know that i'm completely on board with everything you're saying yeah but i guess sometimes i'll get asked the question and the question popped into my mind as you were talking, like, so what? Why is it important that students do all these <laughs> things that you're saying? Is it just so they can get into college, get an sure. A history class? Is there some kind of, you know, larger purpose for these kinds of skills that Thinking Nation is trying to promote? Sure. Well, uh, I think you probably have answered that question better uh, than I want to hear how Thinking Nation thinks about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, at the heart of our organization's mission is to cultivate 
thinking citizens, right? So we we argue that these types of skills are necessary for the sustaining of democracy. It's not an option, right? If we can't carry out those types of skills, we will see democracy fail in, in one respect. Uh, that's that's hugely important. Uh, but if I can reflect on my own life, you know, I tell people all the time that my study of history didn't just make me a better analyst or a better researcher or a better writer or even a better thinker. I mean, it did do all those things. But you know what? Historical thinking has made me a better husband. It's made me a better dad. I'm a much better neighbor. You know, I, I live in a neighborhood with a lot of diversity and I can I can kind of, you know, stay in my own bubble or I can learn to contextualize my neighbor's stories and to empathize with their perspectives, to understand how people became the way they are now through understanding causation. And those those, you know, attributes of historical thinking, those dispositions that are inherent to historical thinking, um, they, they transcend the classroom. And they honestly, they transcend the political sphere as well. You know, cultivating thinking citizens is great, but it's really nice to be a great neighbor and, you know, a caring family member. And I, I know, and I've seen the kind of the fruit of, you know, pushing myself to think historically in, in those aspects of life too. Yeah, that's a that's beautifully put, Zach. I don't think I could have put it any better than that myself. So, you know, there's a broader mission here, right? Thinking Nation is involved in or wants to make better citizens. You obviously are successful so far because you have school districts, growing number of school districts who are working with you to help cultivate these skills. Tell us about the logistics. What sure. does Thinking Nation do? And then I want to ask you a question about assessment too, but, but what, what sure. do you do? What does a, a school, you know, you team up with the school and what happens? Sure. Yeah. So, you know, as I alluded to earlier, it, you know, I would come back from these conferences with that sort of, you know, as a teenager, like that summer camp high of like, yeah. wow, like we were living on that mountaintop. Um, and then I'd come down to like a very practical world with um, 55 minute class periods and teachers who had a lot of other responsibilities. And so early on, when we started to develop materials, we asked ourselves, how do we make something as complex as historical thinking simple to implement? You know, at least in, in like kind of talking with my former department, um, that was a big hurdle is the lack of simplicity when it came to historical thinking. Um, and then also the, a time component, right? There's only so much time in the year. And, you know, one thing we push is, you know, as a history teacher, you're not, your job isn't to cover the past, but it's to uncover the past with your students. So I think that that kind of helps with the, the time component is that it's okay to take more time because we're uncovering rather than just covering. But practically we, you know, we first, we started with our, our, our summative assessments. So these like end of unit or end of term assessments that we began to build, they, they mirrored the college boards, DBQs that they do in the, in like AP history courses. Um, but we wanted to create a kind of a, an AP experience for everyone. So we, we wanted to make sure there were a more appropriate scaffolds for all learners. So that way all learners could access this deep rigor in the classroom and not it just be kind of written off. Like, you know, usually when I talk about what we do, people instantly say, 
oh, that sounds great for AP. And it's like, well, no, we've actually really structured and scaffold these processes to, um, to make them accessible for everyone. Um, we've, we've actually, uh, recently rebranded those summative assessments and we're, we're, we call them now curated research papers, uh, because, Oftentimes when I would talk about a DBQ with someone or a document-based question, it took a lot of explanation, but by and large, like if I go to my grandma's house and I say, yeah, my students are doing a curated research paper, like she can pick up on, on what that would look like. I were curating uh, an inquiry question and, and primary and secondary sources. And then students have to engage with that information to answer the, the question. And so we started with, with those assessments. Um, and so those were, you know, piloted in, in my, my middle school classroom with my students. And then we quickly realized we don't just have to scaffold the assessments to make them accessible for all learners. We have to transform what success looks like in the day-to-day classroom, right? So I always tell teachers that I'm working with, you know, once we've defined what we do as the study of the past, we then have to ask ourselves, how do we measure success? And it's both how do we measure student success based on that definition, but also how do we measure the use of classroom time as successful? We began to kind of backwards plan to to use, you know, lesson planning um, terminology. And so then next we created smaller assessments. And so, you know, if, if any of your listeners have our teachers and have used the Stanford History Education Groups, you know, these are similar to those hats those smaller historical thinking assessments. But one thing we realized is we needed to create something that's a little bit more systemically applicable. So we, you know, with largely the research of Bruce Fanslet, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, you know, his, his work on assessing historical thinking, uh, we began to craft these formative assessments on particular historical thinking skills. So if a teacher wanted to give a, you know, 15 to 30 minute assessment on causation or evaluating evidence or evaluating an author's perspective, these skills of the historian, that they could do so in a small amount of time and that students would get instant feedback, you know, Vanslet Wright, you know, really praised this idea of the upside down weighted multiple choice question. And in his words, it retained the efficiency of multiple choice while allowing for the complexity of our discipline. And so we wanted to create something that's efficient and that creates data. So the goal is now with those formative assessments that regardless of what a teacher teaches, whether it's, you know, ancient world history or modern U.S. history, they can come together and have common language conversations on how students are understanding a skill like continuity and change over time. You know, part of that mission being carried out is to create data around historical thinking and to create a common language for teachers to use around historical thinking. So that way, the two you know, common questions at a social studies department meeting of what are you doing in your class and how is it going expand a lot beyond that, right? Because we can talk about something specific. So with those essays that students write with our curated research papers, Thinking Nation actually grades those essays on behalf of the teachers. We give the students individualized feedback. We give the teachers data reports on these various historical thinking and writing skills. And the goal is that, you know, a department can walk into a meeting with these data reports and have a really robust and vertically aligned conversation, you know, vertically aligned, meaning from, you know, sixth through 12th grade teachers can have a common conversation around what success in their department looks like. Uh, And then the final, you know, or the first stage that students engage with is our document analysis um, 
you know, and they're, they're just graphic organizers. And we just tried to think about like, what types of questions to do historians ask intuitively when they grapple with the past? And how can we put that in both a format and a language that's accessible for students? You know, um, I think you and I both have been so informed by Sam Weinberg's book, Historical Thinking and Other Unnatural Acts. And, and that very term, right, it's an unnatural act. So we had to think of like, how do we create almost like a drill, you know, like something that a teacher can do regularly in their class that doesn't prioritize content acquisition, but prioritizes the thinking skills of how we approach the past. So those three tiers, the, that document analysis, that formative assessment, and then that summative assessment and those curated research papers are really meant to give teachers and students a common language around historical thinking and then usable data. You know, all these other K-12 subjects are really robust with the data they provide. And then social studies teachers are kind of like, well, what free resources can I grab on uh, online or like, how can I use teachers pay teachers? And so we all live in our own silos. And so uh, we're, we're our, you know, our goal is to carry out that mission is to provide this common language and this data that teachers can all reflect on together. So that way we can see department wide growth that isn't contingent on a student's ability to remember the past, but really a student's ability to engage with the past. I have so many follow-ups to everything you said. Um, I know our time is limited, but let me ask a couple of them and maybe you can give me some quick answers. Um, sure. You know, so much of public school history and social studies education, and we see this in the news now, revolves around standards and really coverage, right? My old friend, Lendl Calder, I don't know if you ever read his essay in the Journal of American History on uncoverage, right? Mm -hmm. you, you even use that term yeah. at one point, yep. right? But that often gets in the way of this model of teaching, which is facts and coverage based. And it creates sure. a certain degree of anxiety in a teacher who may, uh, and I've run into teachers I've worked with who may love this historical thinking model, but are also kind of tie. And this is especially the case with AP teachers yeah. teaching to the test, basically. Yep. But, but they're just, they're just tied to those content driven standards like how do you respond to that concern sure so not in every case but in some cases i think that 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 felt need to adhere to this chronological these chronological standards is really self-imposed um so as an example in california um, where i'm based um, you know, our standards are, are, we actually call it a framework, uh, the historic history and social science framework. And it's a series of questions and, um, proposed narratives to cover, to answer those questions. But California doesn't have a state exam in, in social studies or history, right? It's in English language arts and it's in math. And now, um, the last, you know, three or four years, it's also science. Um, so, you know, when I, when I'm working with teachers in California, I say like, well, what is holding you to feel like you need to cover the standards that were written in 1998? Because the 2016 framework is not making it yeah. obligatory for you. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, other states are moving away from that coverage. Um, I think Maryland, um, you know, Bruce Lesh, uh, wrote a great book, like, why won't you just give us the answer about historical thinking? Yeah. And he did a lot of work in Maryland around really making historical thinking the focus of the standards and not coverage. Delaware is also doing great yeah. work um, in, in that. And so I think, you know, 
I don't have an answer for every state, yeah. but I do think a lot of states are, are moving away from coverage. And even the ones that still have it in name, um, in practical, like if we're talking about assessments, like n- there's not much holding teachers accountable to really yeah. focusing to, to not, or I guess to keep from focusing on historical thinking. And so teachers should take advantage of that. Yeah. There's, there's a sense of freedom that I think teachers can really lean into to focus on historical thinking. Yeah, I'll backpedal a little bit, even as you were talking on that question, because I do know, having read some of these standards, I mean, even the controversial Florida standards that are out now, um, you know, this is August 17th, 2023. Most of the summer we've been debating, at least the culture has been debating these Florida standards and how they trace and, and enslave people. But even when you read those, I mean, you know, a lot of them are kind of these more complex kind of, you know, they still use the term higher order kind of kind right. of thinking skills than just sort of the covering of the facts. Another thing I wanted to say, just as an anecdote, I, I got to get this in. So for years at Messiah University, I taught, I don't teach it anymore, but I taught the, um, the course that taught history teachers how to teach history. It was the only course in the history department that they actually took on pedagogy. Everything yeah. else is in the education department. Um, they got a full history major, so they got the thinking skills that way. But but there was nothing on on pedagogy except this one course. And I used Bruce Van Sudwright's book, and then learned that my colleague in the history department, Jim Legrand, who was a modern Americanist, actually was one of Van Sudwright's students. Oh wow! He was actually teaching in Western Michigan, and they used to call him. I think it was like like. Sleddy, like they call him <laughs> Mr. Sleddy. <laughs> you know, I just, I just got introduced to him as kind of a leading scholar and right. historical thing. It was nice to get that little personal. I don't think Bruce Van Sledright listens to this podcast. But maybe, maybe he'll enjoy that comment, and maybe he remembers Jim Legrand as a student. Before we came on, I just had lunch today with a former student who was actually in that class that I just described. A uh, he was actually one of the students I taught in my first year of teaching at Messiah. Wow. Uh, so he's been out there 20 some odd years uh, in the classroom. He's an AP yeah. American history teacher in the area. And uh, I told him about Thinking Nation, how I was going to be interviewing you today. And I mentioned this whole process of assessment that you do, reading essays and so forth. And sure. I said, they're really doing well. I said, they have a lot of school districts, so forth. And he said, I'd have a lot of school districts too if I offered to grade people. Yeah, yep. absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So tell me, I just have one more question about the assessment piece, right? Sure. Because we're talking, and I get asked this all the time, right? You know, people read my book, Why Study History, and they say, like, after reading your book with all the emphasis on, you know, empathy and becoming a good neighbor and living a better life as a historical thinker, you know, um, and I give examples from my own students who've experienced this over the years, similar to your story, right? Yeah. But then they say, like, so why are why isn't every historian like, you know, who's deeply ensconced in like deep historical thinking? Why aren't they all like saints? Like, why why aren't they all like like how do you assess those things like I'm a more empathetic person? Yeah. I'm a better neighbor, I'm a better citizen. I I do you do that? I mean, if so, I'd love to know how you do it, but maybe that's not what you're, what you're getting at. And that's not what you assess. 
how do you see whether this works? Because I think that for me is the big question mark. Um, Yeah. You know, all these claims that we make about what historical thinking does to help improve democratic life, help people be better people. And how do we assess that? Yeah. By and large, don't maybe assess those um, very human qualities, right, that you mentioned. Um, but that doesn't mean we're not starting and we actually are, are creating these methodologies through surveys, um, of students and, and their teachers and, and kind of what history means to them in order to get data and those, those really soft characteristics of historical thinking. Um, you know, and even right now, you know, today before this call, I'm working on an introductory graphic organizer, you know, what is historical empathy? Yeah. So, so we're definitely trying to incorporate those soft um human characteristics into the study of the past um but what the data that we provide with um for schools is really built around more of the the academic um qualities right so um, a student's ability to articulate the complexity of causation or a student's ability to signify similarities and differences between two historical ideas or continuity and change between two historical eras or contextualizing or sourcing their documents. And and those are are largely uh, much more easy to measure. Right. And so we've created, you know, the the rubrics that are a part of our, both our formative assessments and then our, our curated research papers are really designed to give teachers data on those more academic historical thinking skills. Right. Um, And then, you know, I was sifting through end of year student um, survey data over the summer and I was reading like, you know, um, engaging with the thinking nation essay helped me to look for uh, different perspectives when I was reading, um, you know, about a historical event. And so I think things like that, like demonstrate a move towards historical thinking, um, just perhaps not in the, the same way that our data obsessed culture kind of wants to see it, but we'll see how that grows. No, I, I fully endorse everything that you're doing there. I think this is wonderful what you have created at Thinking Nation. If you are a school, I don't know, a school superintendent, a principal, a history teacher, a history chair of a department, uh, you know, social studies chair. Yeah. How do you connect with Thinking Nation? How do you become part of the, you know, the you know, connect with what you're doing, you know, use your services, so forth. Sure. Um, I mean, two, I mean, the, the, the easiest two ways are to go to our website, uh, thinkingnation.org. Mm-hmm. Um, and right on the homepage, um, when you, when you go to it, you'll, you'll see a button that says, you know, uh, free resources and you'll see a button that says request a demo. Um, and so if you, you know, get those free resources, you'll kind of see what we're about. And we try to put out a lot of the frameworks or rather than the like specific to a particular historical era, you'll see like the frameworks around historical thinking, like mm-hmm. that, what is historical empathy, graphic organizer, things like that, or, you know, helpful tools to help students ask good questions. And then if you request a demo, um, you'll likely hear from me or, um, um someone else on our, our small team. Um, and, and we'll kind of walk you through the platform that, that we've created. So I, I should mention that all of what we've created is housed on a, an online platform. So in a weird way, we're very much a nonprofit with a mission that are kind of servicing this ed tech 
community. You know, like that's how we are able to grade the essays and provide feedback. That's how um, you can even, you know, collect that data or we, we collect it for you um, all because it's housed on this online platform. So um, a lot of schools that use us and partner with us um, use that online platform as like a, a base for the department to really align themselves around these thinking skills. You have not only uh, been successful, you've been, I think, very successful. How many, how many uh, uh, schools do you work with right now? Yeah, I think we're, it's a good question. I should know this off the top of my head. But roughly, um, roughly. Yeah, I think we're in about a dozen states um, and we serve around 70 or 75 schools, a little under 20,000 students that are engaging with our work. And from what I understand, and growing. Right. Yeah. So it was um, about half of that last year. So yeah. even yeah. So you know, there's going been a from- real, a real um, interest in the kind of things that you're doing. I should also say that you work with professional historians to help you with your lessons and your, your, your uh, different, um, different case studies and so forth. Um, you know, I'm just looking at your, at the historians that you've worked with over the past couple of years, I guess this is Carol Burke and Denver Brunson. Uh, Manisha Sinha, Vincent Canado, Bob Elder, Andrew Robertson, Nadia Williams. You know, these are these are no slouches when it comes to uh, being first <laughs> yeah. historians. So they're, I mean, they're coming in and, and giving you some good consulting yeah. advice on these historical content stuff. Yeah. One of our goals is to create this, you know, K-16 bridge, right? And so we're trying to do our part in really incorporating the scholarship that's out there into the materials that like a seventh grader is engaging in. And so rather than building our curriculum around um, the standards specifically or the textbook, we're really asking ourselves, like, what is the scholarship doing? And how can we distill that in a way that makes sense for a secondary student? Um, and so, yeah, the scholars that you listed and others have been really helpful in making sure that that scholarship component is, is accurate, up to date. You know, uh, I don't have the time to embed myself in the, the new journal articles, but uh, you professional historians do. And so by being able to rely on um, your expertise, um, we're able to, you know, put something in front of students that really challenges them to think deeply about what they're studying. We have been talking with Zachary Cote. He is the executive director of Thinking Nation at thinkingnation.org. If you are a teacher, if you are a administrator of a school, if you are interested in these kinds of historical thinking skills, if you're teaching teachers like I do and want to find Uh, a website to turn your students loose in. It's all there, thinkingnation.org. Like I said before, I am really impressed with all the work that Zach and his team, four or so full-time employees, I think. So this is no no shoestring operation, are doing. This is phenomenal work, Zach. And I know you are a very, very busy man. So thanks for taking some time to come on the podcast and talk about Thinking Nation today. Yeah, of course, John. And if if I could just close and say, you know, whether or not you knew it, I don't think Thinking Nation would have been what it what it is if it weren't for your work. Your your focus on why we should study history. You know, I had my eighth graders read the the preface to why study history (laughs) every year, the introduction, excuse me. And that work has really 
kind of helped guide our work as an organization. So I really appreciate you and, and the work that, that you've put out there for teachers to, to build off of. Well, that's very, that's so hearing you say that's very satisfying because you kind of, you kind of have these ideas, you write about them, you see them at work in your own context, but then when you hear they're, they're influencing others to, you know, become more active in promoting these skills. That's, that's a great compliment. Thanks, Zach. And again, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah. Thank you so much, Sean. to say about that interview that I didn't say directly to Zach. Thinking Nation is occupying a space, I think, in this kind of history teacher, social studies teacher, nonprofit organization world that are helping teachers, providing resources for them. We talked about Gilder Lehrman. There's one at Ashbrook Center. I think it is at Ashland University. Have the Stanford History Education Group with Sam Weinberg. I can think of a few others maybe off the top of my head. But I think Thinking Nation, and Zach pointed this out, is doing something a little bit different. While those other places tend to prioritize content at first and historical thinking skills second, I think Zach is prioritizing the historical thinking skills, again, coming from a more social studies perspective, over the content. Again, that doesn't mean he doesn't care about content. That doesn't mean content's not important. Like I said, he brings in some of the best historians to help him with his content. I did a lesson, I'm not sure it's out yet, on Alexander Hamilton and Thomas Jefferson. You know, I, I totally consulted on the lesson. I suggested where there were some things that needed to be changed and so forth. So it's not that the content's not there, but the real focus is these thinking skills, complexity, uh, contingency, uh, causation, change over time. If you are a teacher, if you are in the world of social studies, familiarize yourself with thinkingnation.org. Zach tells me they're actually going to have a brand new website rolling out pretty soon. So look for that. As always, thanks for listening. I think this is an important discussion to have about how we translate these ideas about historical thinking into the creation of democratic citizens. So until next time, may your way of improvement always lead home. Improvement Leads Home podcast is recorded via Zoom. Original music by Overholt. The co-founder of this podcast, who is now off doing bigger and better things, is Drew Durley Hermeling. Our podcast producer is Casey Lehman out of Nashville, and I, John Fia, am your host. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. 
Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.